Chapter Seventeen of The Bridge of History Over the Gulf of Time: A Popular View of the Historical Evidence for the Truth of Christianity by Thomas Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Brett W. Downey. Chapter Seventeen: The Arch of Persecution. What shall we call the third century? We must call it the Arch of Persecution. Before Diocletian gave up power and retired to cultivate cabbages at Salona, he exercised his mind in the more pernicious task of ordering a search to be made for all Christian books, that they might be publicly burnt. If the books were given up by professing Christians, for none else had them, at the imperial demand, the persons who gave them up were put out of its pale by the Christian church of that time. I want you to let that fact sink into your minds, and I want you to keep it there, for we shall have to remember it when we come to the keener points of our inquiry. To be more willing to part with life itself than with the Gospels or Epistles was held to be the mark of an earnest Christian in those days. The books were found, in numerous instances, by the Emperor's searchers, and those who withheld them were punished. Diocletian did greater evil still. He commanded Christian places of worship to be closed or torn down, and then the professors of the forbidden religion had to worship in caves and desolate places, or by the seaside and often in darkness. And then their enemies invented the malicious report that they met together for vicious purposes. Just like the devil, you know, when he thrusts a good man into a dark, dirty corner, he cries out, That fellow has gone there for concealment in his vicious indulgence. But the busy instrument of Satan, Diocletian, went further, he proceeded to take human life. Eusebius collects the accounts of contemporary writers and presents us with their catalogues of the martyrdoms in Egypt, in Palestine, in Syria, and Arabia, but more especially in the great cities of Alexandria and Antioch, and Nicomedia and Caesarea. Some of those accounts are very affecting, and often the Christian martyrs met death with a heroism that appalled their persecutors. Maximian and Galerius, whom Diocletian associated with himself in the government, were as cruel as their patron. Before Diocletian and his associates in imperial rule, we have Aurelian, Valerian, Gallus, Decius, Maximin, and Severus, who were all persecutors of Christianity. They did not persecute at all times, nor in every place, but after a little lull of the tempest it would break forth again, and not only aged men, but feeble women, were swept away in its fury. Indeed, the relation of the persecution undergone by the Christian church in the third century is often too painful to read. Tender women, in some instances, were tortured several days and put to death by slow degrees for the purpose of wringing from them a denial of Christ. Some, in their human weakness, were affrighted by the threats of punishment and those cruel sights which they witnessed, and shrunk from martyrdom by apostasy. But hundreds triumphed and exulted in death, and to the last attested their faith in Christ. I ask once more, where did Christianity come from? Was there nothing in it worth suffering for? Did Jesus of Nazareth never exist? Was he not alive, teaching in Jerusalem, in Galilee, in Samaria, and performing his miracles, but two hundred and twenty years before many of these martyrs suffered? Was he never crucified at Jerusalem? Did he never rise from the dead? Were all these martyrs suffering for their belief in a new fable about the sun? and because the believers in the old fable hated them for refashioning the fable? Let us again journey along our bridge of history, 
and see if we find at last the solution to her oft-repeated question. End of chapter. Recording by Brett Downey.